small things, big difference. So today could be a radical shift for some of you. If you will allow God to work in you in the small things, make some small changes in the months and years ahead, you'll see some incredible differences in your life. And um, we say this all the time, but if you want the same results that you've always gotten, by all means, continue to do what you've always done. But if you want some different results, then maybe you should put your um, attitudes and, and your actions toward a different direction. Our defining statement for this whole series has, is on your listening guide, or if you're doing version, uh, I encourage you to do version. I love having my Bible with me wherever I go. You can take notes. You can email the notes to you. So if you have a smartphone, it's Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N dot com, and then you just download the app, and then it'll say Holy Bible on it once it's on your phone. Um, some people get confused by that because we call it version. When you go there, it says version, but then on your, your uh, phone, it says Holy Bible. But anyway, here's our defining statement. It is the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. Now, two weeks ago, last week we had Pastor Sam's here. Two weeks ago, we, sm- we focused on something very small that no one sees, and that's our thoughts. And we said our thoughts matter because thoughts become words, words become actions, actions become habits, and habits define our destiny. Today, we're going to focus on words, and I want to go to John chapter 1, verse 1, and, and show you um, the Word of God. In the beginning was the what? Is that a capital W or a lowercase w? Capital W, so what does that refer to? It refers to Christ or God. All right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through the Word, through Christ, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Just like our words reveal our thoughts and our hearts and our minds to other people, Jesus Christ was the revelation of God's thoughts and his hearts to people when he came. Um, we know that Jesus was eternal. The Bible tells us that. He was, he was part of um, the eternal word, but he was also part of the creative word. The Bible says nothing was created without Jesus' input in that because he, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, were all together creating everything. And so Genesis 1-1 is linked here with, Gen- with John 1, 1. When God created the world, he did it with the spoken word. He said, let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be a separation of the heavens and the earth. Let there be stars in the sky. God spoke and stuff happened. And then in John 1, 1, it tells us about the new creation. God created the, the physical family in the Garden of Eden when he created the earth. Jesus came and created the spiritual family, which is the church, which is what we're doing here today. And Jesus was involved in both creations. Now, just in case you're you're not sure about this word and the identity of the word, look down at verse 14, John 1, 14. Uh, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So we know that this, this word that existed in the beginning, that created, that was involved in the creation in Genesis 1-1, also involved in the, the spiritual family creation, we know his name was Jesus Christ. He came from God, he's a reflection of God, and he reveals God to us. So when God speaks, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, stuff happens their words are powerful. But I bet you didn't know that our words carry power too. Not, not like we speak, you know, when things are created. That'd be kind of cool. But, but our words carry power. And I want you to see this in um, Proverbs eighteen twenty one. The tongue has the power of what? Life and death. 
So what this verse is saying is we speak two kinds of words, and we need to pay attention to these two kinds of words. We either speak life-giving words or we speak life-taking words. So if you want to change your life, you need to change the words you speak. We're going to talk about that all day today. Now, in the New Testament, there's a book called James. Does anybody know why it's called James? He's the dude who wrote it. I mean, it's real creative. Peter was written by Peter and, and John by John, you know, Luke by Luke. It's, it's real creative. Uh, James, now, what's cool about James is he was the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother because James' uh, father was Joseph. God's father was, uh, Jesus' father was God, right? See the difference? So they were half-brothers. And some people, some scholars say that James is actually the best proof, the best evidence that Jesus really was the son of God. Because think about this. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was God's son? I got two brothers, it ain't happening. And they would tell you the same about me. We just all spent time together up at my parents' house. Um, and I, I texted Janie. I get on the, the plane, and my brothers, one's at the window, and one's on the aisle, and then I'm in the middle. And my brothers are kind of large. And so I'm, I'm texting Janie. I said, this is priceless. Never been on a row airplane with my brothers. Never want to be again, you know, rescue me type thing. My brothers would have to do some incredible stuff to convince me that they were God's son. So if James comes to the point, because he was a doubter. If you read in the scriptures, you'll see that James doubted him. And then all of a sudden he comes to believe that Jesus is the son of God. He saw something that, that gave us a good evidence. So if James believes it, the half-brother Jesus believes that Jesus is the son of God. That's pretty convincing proof, right? Anyway, that has nothing to do with the topic. I just thought that was cool. So let's see what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says about the tongue. He says, we can make a what kind of horse? Large horse. Go wherever we want to by means of a what? Small bit in its mouth. And a what kind of rudder? Makes a what kind of ship? Turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, this little slab of meat right here in our mouths. The tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. He actually goes on to say, and the tongue itself has been on set, set on fire by the flames of hell because he says, we speak some wicked stuff with our mouths. Our tongues steer our lives. And so the Bible says that this little piece of equipment right here has the power of life and death. Let me give you an example. Show me a marriage that is struggling. I don't care the names. I don't care how long they've been married. Show me a marriage that's struggling. I'll show you a marriage that is speaking more life-taking words than they are life-giving words. On the other hand, you show me a marriage that is strong and mature, and I'll show you a marriage where there are more life-giving words than there are life-taking words. Show me someone that you like to be around. And it could be a boss, and it could be kid, spouse, relative, whoever. You show me somebody you like to be around, and I guarantee you, they put more life-giving words into your life than they do life-taking words. But you show me somebody that you, you don't like to be around, a boss, your kids, your spouse, your relatives, whatever it is. And it's a situation where there are more life-taking words coming at you than there are life-giving words coming to you. It's just the way things are. Solomon understood this principle and he contrasted life-giving and life-taking words. The first verse is in Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words, and we're going to call those life-taking words. Reckless words do what? Pierce like a sword. You ever been pierced by someone's words? Usually it's by somebody who's close to us. Because somebody we don't know, we don't care what they think. But somebody close to us says something to us, reckless words, and it pierces us. 
But look at the contrast. The tongue of the wise, that's the life-giving, brings healing. You ever had somebody say some words to you that were kind and just brought kind of a, kind of a cool drink to your soul? Those are life-giving words. Proverbs 15, 4. He says, as a tree gives fruit, that's life-giving words, healing words, life-giving words give life, but dishonest or life-taking words crush the spirit. Ever had your spirit crushed by someone's words? I hear this one a lot. Is that what you're going to wear? I do, because I don't care. My whole life, my fashion sense has been, you open the drawer, whatever shirt is on top, you put it on. Whatever pair of socks, you put them on. Whatever pa- it's not hard. And I'll come walking out and Janie will go, is that what you're going to wear? It was, but what, what am I going to wear, dear? And she'll pick out something so she makes me look respectable sometimes as, as, as much as she can. Um, or someone says to you, did you mean to do that to your hair? No, I didn't mean, I heard this one, Janie saved me from this one. You're 25 or 30, and when, when you're a minister, and you're 25 or 30, and you're in a church, and you're not married, everybody has an ugly niece or somebody they want to introduce you to. Um, and, and so they would say to me, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you married yet? My mom worried that I was going to get married. She, she told my sister all the time I was going to get married before I got out of high school, and I'm like, what are you? talking about woman. And then she was worried I was going to get married before I got out of college. And I've, I've always had goals. You know, I, I was not going to get married, but my mom and I didn't talk. And sis was always telling me this stuff. And, and so when I got out of college and it went three or four years and I didn't have a married mom's, mom's starting to panic. I don't think Doug's ever going to get married. He's not going to find anybody good enough. And I'm just like, shut up <laughs> to everybody. Church people will love you, but do not set me up with more ugly women. Dude, I'm telling you. Okay, I'll, I'll get off of that. Words can wound, right? I can't stand you. I found someone else. I never really loved you. You're pathetic. I wish I never had you. Life-taking words that pierce like a sword and they crush the spirit. On the other hand, have you ever been blessed by somebody giving you life-giving words? Um, I'm so proud of you. The man you've become, the woman you've become. I'm so proud of how you're raising your children. I, I love watching you interact with your wife or your children. Um, I had a couple of really kind words shared with me in the last few weeks. One of them, guy walked in back there a couple weeks ago, and, and I just said hi to him, and he said, I'm here because of you. And I went, what? You're the only reason I came. I'm like, dude, there's some pressure. <laughs> but, but he said, no. He said, he said, I think ministers do not get enough kind words. And I said, I know that's right, baby. <laughs> and then uh, got an email and, and just somebody said, thank you for being real. And stuff like that. That's like a cool drink of water when you're in the desert and you're not sure you're going to make it to the next oasis. And we've got to be people who share life-giving words instead of life-taking words. Um, 
I'm, I'd marry you all over again. I tell Janie this all the time. Almost every year at some point I'll, I'll say, I'd choose you. I actually bought her a little precious moments and it has the ring. I can't find my ring. It drives me crazy. Janie wants me to get a tattoo because I lose my ring all the time. Can't find my ring, but this little precious moments, it had a ring on it and it's pointing to it. And he said, he said, I still do. And I gave her this card and I, this was on our, I think it's our one year anniversary. I said, I'd choose you all over again. And, and I just want to show you a couple of photos just to remind you of what that I, look, dude, that was 1991 and that was in style. So, um, I'll, I'll try to get a picture because we actually did a remarriage ceremony about three years ago here in church. We did the aisles and Janie redid that dress and I didn't know about it until she, I mean, I knew she was redoing it, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And so I'll get you a before and after photo, but she's cute, isn't she? And, and I tell my brothers, oh, this is actually a funny one. Everybody likes this picture. Um, cause I, I didn't know the photographer was there <laughs> and yeah, I'm pushing the door open. I'm like, you know, I was like, let's get out of here. You know, um, I had hair. I did have hair. I wanted you to, I wanted to prove it to you. Actually, it was already, I didn't know it was already thinning. You know, it didn't have a lot of pictures of the top of my head. When I was at Southside baptizing, somebody ba- got the picture from the top. And that's when I just said, I'm going bald, dude. I'm just shaving it off. Cause I, I'm not going to pretend my dad was a comb over guy. And, and I just, I refused to do that. And I'm a cul-de-sac. So, man, that's just, that's just, that, that's God's joke. You know, a cul-de-sac, I'd rather have anything but a cul-de-sac. So I just shaved the thing. I, I don't want y'all to know. And, and people see me. That's really funny because I had long, thick hair back in high school. And, and uh, people see me and they're like, what happened to your hair? And I'm like, I don't know. It's gone. Shut up. You know, life-taking word. You're bald. But here's what people tell me. This, I'm not kidding. This is what people with hair say to bald-headed people. They say, well, at least your head's shaped for it. <laughs> so I got a head that looks like a ball. That's supposed to make me feel good? It's nice and round on top. And I'm like... <sighs> and then just for fun, I wanted to show you one more picture. I think he's always had gray hair. It is gray, and so I'm jealous. At least he has hair. That's what I tell him. He gripes about his gray hair. Well, at least you got hair. I'd take that. Teresa looks good. And, and you know, what I, tell, what I tell my brothers, and we actually had this conversation. It, I, I felt sorry for the people around me because we, three preacher boys sitting there, and we were talking about sex. We were talking about drugs and rock and roll. And I thought, these people sitting around us think we're nuts, you know. And uh, anyway, I had texting Janie going, you won't believe what we're talking about. Um, but I told my brothers, I said, you know, my wife is, is more beautiful today than when I, when I met her. And I thought she was stunning when I met her. I thought she was stunning when I married her. And she is more beautiful today. And, and I know Jeff feels that way about Teresa. And, and guys, if you're not saying that to your wife, you're stupid. Because what we did to catch her, we got to do to keep her. We talk about that all the time. So anyway... Life-giving words are healing to the soul. And Janie, Janie was one of those people that just filled my soul with good stuff and still does to this day. And, and so that's why I cherish her. I tell my girls every night when, before we go to bed, I'll hug them and, and it's an old ritual we do. And, and I say, you're beautiful, you're smart. What else did I say? <laughs> you're precious. What? 
Well, that's what Janie says. I say, you're beautiful, smart, and of all the girls in the world. We used to play this game um, because, you know, we would have some, some little kids come over, and they were kind of brats, and so I would play this game, and, and I'd be hugging Hannah and laying, laying there next to her, and I'd say, you're beautiful, smart, and I love you, and of all the girls in the world, you know which one I'd choose every time? And then she would want me to say, she'd say, tell me who you wouldn't choose. And, and I'd say, well, Clara, I wouldn't choose Clara. You know, and, uh, and I would start naming these girls and she would laugh and I'd say, and, but then I would even take her best friends and I'd say, and I wouldn't choose them. You know which one I'd choose every time? And they'll go, me. To this day, I hug my girls and kiss them every night and I tell, you are the one I would choose over and over and over again. And I want them to know, I want it just to be this foundation. Daddy loves me and he accepts me just like I am. And, and I think that's a reflection of our Heavenly Father, and it's a reflection of the message of our church, life-giving words. Our words matter. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we did a thought audit. Today, we're going to do words audit. And so if you have your listening guides, or if you're on version, version is just weird when you type stuff in. So if you're looking at that and it doesn't line up, just get over it. I, I can't figure out how to fix that. But anyway, look up here if you want to see symmetry, all right? On one side of the scale, you see life-taking words, and the first time we're talking about to others. On the other side is life-giving words. Now, I want you to think about the words that come out of your mouth more than any other. If you say words like pathetic or never or always, you always leave the toilet lid up. You know, those are fighting words, by the way. If you want to learn how to fight fair, do not use never and always. Anyway, okay, so if you're one of those people, uh, if you say you never do anything right, you always lie, you always this, if that's you, then you circle a one or a two. Because you're, you're regularly spouting life-taking words. If, on the other hand, you say words like, I'm proud of you, I thank God for you, you're awesome, I choose you, I love you, you make me happy, then you circle a high number. Second line, life-taking words to yourself or life-giving words to yourself. This is, this is your inner thought process. Now, if you, if you say more things like, I know I'm going to fail because I always do. If you call yourself a drug head, an alcoholic, a liar, a cheater, manipulator, if you say I'm no good, I can't change, if you say things like that, I'll always be bad, then you put a low number. But if you, if you really believe that the Bible is true, and if you really believe the name Emmanuel, which means God is with us, and if you believe God is with me, and God is for me, and if God is for me, there is nothing that can stand against me. And if you quote and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and, and you're thankful for what you have, then you put a high number. Life giving words to yourself. Now, quick question. How many of you are better at giving life-giving words to others than you are to yourself? Let me see your hands. That's a whole lot of people, right? And, and, okay, another question. How many of you scored a 10 on both of them? Nobody good. This message is for you, not your neighbor. Our words have the power of life and death. death. So if you want to change your life, you've got to change your words. So let's, a couple of practical things. Number one, if you can't say something helpful, skip it. Skip it. Skip it. Say it over and over and over. Skip it. There you go. This is one of my favorite verses, and this is one of the least heated verses in the Bible. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. What's unwholesome talk? Dirty jokes. Um, criticizing. Gossip. Uh, do not let stuff come out of your mouth that what? but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So if you apply this verse to your life, apply it to your parenting, to work, to your marriage, to your family, you will see this seismic shift in your relationships over the weeks and months ahead. 
and the quality will get better and better. Our words, this verse says, are to build up according to their needs, not your needs. Sometimes you feel like you just got to say something. It's all about you. It's not about the other person. And it says we are supposed to do things that benefit others. Sometimes you got to tell the truth, but it's the way you tell the truth that matters. Because I say this before, but I'm going to keep saying it till y'all quit doing it. Don't go to somebody and say, I'm just telling you this because I love you. And then you verbally vomit all your issues on them. You take out your double barrel shotgun and you blast away just to get it off your chest. And it's all because I love you. you. In fact, if you tell me you're, you're telling me this in love and this happens, I'm not making it up. People come to me and say, Doug, I'm just telling you this because I love you. And I immediately put my walls up and I go, no, you don't. Because the way you just approached me. Because I have friends and I have relatives who have approached me and said, Hey man, can I talk to you? I got something on my heart. And, and I just need you to know that I love you and I value your friendship more than anything else in the world. And something happened. And I know you didn't mean it. But you hurt me. That's totally different than someone coming up and saying, I'm just going to tell you this because I love you. And I've had this happen in the last few months. Somebody said, I'm just telling you this because I love you. And then they wasted me in front of a group of people. And, and, you know, the flesh, man, I was making a list. And I just had to swallow it because it wasn't appropriate. The way you go to somebody will tell them. Even something that is difficult to say can bring life to someone if you say it in the right way. So you get on your knees and you talk to God more about that topic than you talk to the person before you ever go to the person. And, and the Holy Spirit will come out of you and connect your hearts. This happens every time. You go to somebody in the right way, your hearts are drawn closer together. You go to somebody in the wrong way and even speak the truth in the wrong way and you will be repelled from each other. And your, your words that you may mean, mean well are life taking word. You're sucking the life out of the other person and you're wrong because of the way you do it. So we've got to be people who give life. Now the King James Version says if you can't say, if thou canst say something worthwhile, shut thy trap. It doesn't really. I think it should and, and if I ever do a translation that's what it'll say but um, it doesn't say that. And, and so what I want you to do, I don't want you to elbow your spouse, I want you to elbow yourself today that we've got to do a better job of tasting our words before they come out. One of my friends used to say that. She would say, taste your words. She would see, you know, the steam rising. She'd say, taste your words. I'm like, they're bitter. And, she, and so she'd say, then shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Second thing, all right? First thing we're going to stop doing, we're going to stop saying bad things. If we can't say something good, we're going to skip it. Second thing, if you think something good, say it. This is big. This is where we've got to be as a church. This is how we've got to be as families. If you th- think, thank, if you think something good. <laughs> Janie, I, I do have a tractor out there behind my, my truck. I just bought it from my brother, and I took it to the gym meet yesterday. And so Janie thought it was funny and took a picture and sent it to Jamie Stevens. And she, she said, you might be a redneck if you take a tractor to a gym meet. And uh, anyway, uh, so I'm a redneck, I guess. Um, we have to think before we say it and, and taste our words. Look what it says in Proverbs sixteen twenty four: Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words, not pleasant thoughts. The thought does not count. 
when when Janie and I were dating at different times, uh, y'all do this, you know, you just you got the you got the warm fuzzies, you know, just bubbling up in there, and uh, we we never lived in the same town until we got married, and so I was in Austin, she was at Sam Houston State, and and so we would just. We couldn't wait to see each other. You know, we, we would wait two or three weeks because I was a youth minister and she was, um, at the time, she was on the drill team, so she would have to dance at basketball games, stuff like that. So we couldn't always see each other. We'd go three weeks, four weeks before we could go see each other. And uh, one night I was at her apartment. And uh, how many of y'all seen failure, failure to Launch? Okay, Matthew McConaughey. Okay, just keep that in mind. Because one night we're sitting there and, and you know, I had my arm around her and we didn't have the TV on because you don't need the TV when you're in love, you know. And, and we just smooched a little bit and then I looked in her eyes. She had the look. You know what I'm talking about? The look where Matthew McConaughey, he was living with his parents and whenever the girl gave him a look, he, he'd get scared and he'd take her home to meet the parents so that the parents would scare off the girl. Okay, Janie had the look. And we used to always do this thing. If it got quiet for a while, we'd go, what you thinking? And, and uh, so she had the look, and I knew it. I knew what she was thinking. And I said, what you thinking? And she just kind of, just for a second, she goes, nothing. And I said, come on, tell me. She goes, I am not telling you what I was thinking. <laughs> and, and so what happens, three, three or four weeks later, I don't know, we're back together. And I said, I just want you to know that I've fallen in love with you. And she said, she goes, I love you too. And then she goes, you know that night two or three weeks ago when you asked me what I was thinking? I said, yeah. She goes, I was thinking I love you. I said, I know. And she smacked me. <laughs> she said, if you knew, why didn't you tell me? And I said, because I wanted to see if you'd say it first. She said, there was no way in hell I was telling you first. <laughs> you were going to have to tell me. Girls, that's good. That's good. Don't you dare tell that boy. because oh, Don't tell a boy you love him until... Actually, don't even tell him you love him until you're standing in front of the preacher. Then that's good, right? Can I hear an amen from all the dads in the group? I do have a concealed handgun license too, so um, just any potentials, you need to know that. I don't mind going back to jail. I have been in jail. I'll tell you that story another time. I'm running out of time. We all, you know what I was doing? All I was doing was I wanted somebody to look at me and take me just like I was and love me. And Janie was that girl. And I wanted to hear it. Even though I was jacking with her, I wasn't messing with her. I was, I was kind of honoring. I wanted to hear it. And so when she said, I love you too, it just warmed my soul. And don't you want that? Don't you want to be around people who love you? Um, Timmy's one of the hugginest people around here. Timmy hugs me all the time. Broad daylight, crowds, he doesn't care. <laughs> and that's okay. I, I like it. I, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm secure in my masculinity and in my marriage so I can hug a man. Isn't that, isn't that cool to be around people that love you and accept you? It's why some of you can't go to your family gatherings because there aren't people there who love you and accept you. And it's why God created this supplemental family. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, our small group, I love them like brothers and sisters. And, and I can't help it. As they open up their hearts to me, I am drawn to them, and I love them. And I long for all of you to have that. But you can't have it when you're sitting in your homes and not connecting with other people. You've got to make some choices. 
my, uh, my brothers, I didn't get a lot of life-giving words from my parents when I was growing up, but my brothers and my sister filled in. And I didn't know, uh, mom and dad had a lot of problems. Mom was the oldest of eight kids. I learned a lot from, you know, my, my granddad beat my grandmother. My granddad beat all of his, his kids. And, and my mom moved out just to get away from him. And then all of the other kids ran away from granddad. And bad situation. And so I didn't get a lot of words from them. But God put my brothers and my sister in my life. And, and mom, mom would tell sis stuff and sis would tell me. And it was, you know, roundabout way, it was okay. Mom thinks you're awesome. Why didn't she tell me? You know, that type of deal. But my brother, my oldest brother, is the one who really affirmed that I was supposed to start this church. My options were to go to a traditional church, already established church, or start a church from scratch. And that's a scary thing because there ain't no money in it. (laughs) And my brother said, I have always thought you'd start a church. That was the word I needed to hear. He He said, I don't see you going and building on what somebody else has done. He said, God has prepared you to start a church. And, and that was what I needed to put me over the hump. So, you know, it's, the, it's that old song, tell me something good. Tell me that you love me. Tell me that you like me. Everybody's saying that. And they're not finding it in churches. Right? I'm not, I'm not trying to talk down any church. I'm just saying for the most part, we get in a church and we become a clique and we forget everybody else who comes in. And it's wrong. We've got to be giving life, and when we do, people want to come hang out here. Before David became king, he found himself in a bad situation, and he was, um, his men were going to kill him. That's a bad situation, right? He's out, and he's gone and done this raid, and while they were gone, all of their wives and children and everything was taken, and so the men are like, you did this, it's your fault, David, and they were going to take him out and stone him. And look at just the last part of 1 Samuel 36. It says, but David encouraged himself in his God. In the Lord his God. And, and so what I want you to realize is, sometimes you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Because one chapter later, this was in 1 Samuel 30 and 1 Samuel 31, Saul, the king, died who wanted to kill him. You know what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 1? David starts his process of becoming king. So the circumstances looked horrible, but just a, a few days later, it radically changed because God showed up. When Jesus Christ was killed on the Friday, the Romans and all the Jews thought they'd gotten rid of this troublemaker and everything was good, but they didn't know Sunday was coming. And the, great, the worst tragedy in history was an innocent Jesus Christ being crucified. The greatest miracle in history is Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, being raised. And we're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks on Easter. So God turned what looked like a horrible circumstance into the greatest miracle ever. So don't ever think that your circumstances are too big. If they are, you're not looking at God because He can handle it all. When life is dark is when God's about to show up. All right, the last thing I want to say is if you want to see it, you need to say it. I know, I got two say-its there. That's all right. You can, you can handle two say-its. Maybe you'll remember it. You begin to say, God wants to bless my marriage. God wants to provide for my family. God wants to save me. God wants to heal me. Begin to say it. Jesus said, if you speak to the mountain, not whine about the mountain, not complain that there's a mountain in your way. He said, if you speak to the mountain, it will be removed. If you have the faith, it will be removed. And so we've got to speak to it. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is when Ezekiel, God takes Ezekiel, one of the prophets, takes him to this valley, and it's full of dry bones. Dry bones means there's not any skin, anything on it. They've been bleached in the sun. They're horrible. There's nothing left. And, and he asks him a question. God asks Ezekiel a question. He said, can these bones live? Ezekiel's pretty sharp. He goes, uh, only you know, God. 
And God says, speak to those bones. Prophesy to the bones. Come together. And so, if you're Ezekiel, okay. Bones come together. That's what I do. And it said there was this rattling sound. Ah, dude. DVR in heaven, I want to see it. Because the bones came together. And the, the ligaments, the, the sinew, the skin, everything came together. And they stood up. Don't you know Ezekiel's going, wow. And then they had no breath in them. So God said, he breathed on them and, and they became this huge army. Now this is significant because God had just told the Israelites through Ezekiel, I'm going to restore your nation. And the Israelites said, our nation's dead. We're in the grave. In fact, I want you to see exactly what they said in Ezekiel 37, 11. God's talking about them and he says, then he said to me, son of man, that's what he was calling Ezekiel, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. God's words to Ezekiel were, speak to the bones, prophesy uh, and, and breathe the breath of life in them. The reason was because he wanted Israel to no, you say you're in the grave, I got the power over the grave. Speak to your situation and you'll begin to see God moving in your situation. And, and some of you are going, oh, that's great, but I don't really know what to say. Well, what does God say about debt? Does God want you in debt or not? No, he's very clear. He doesn't want you in debt. So you say to your debt, I am not going to be in debt anymore. And you start living within your means. And when you do that, God's going to start blessing you. Now, there's one little phrase you need to add at the, at the end of everything you say. All right, you ready for it? Every time you speak, make sure you can say, and that's the way I want it. Do not say, I'm sick and tired of my marriage, and that's the way I want it. You don't say, I'm pathetic, and that's the way I want it. You don't say, you get on my nerves, and that's the way I want it. My life will always suck, and that's the way I want it. Instead, you say, I love my spouse, and with God's help, my, my marriage will get better, because that's the way I want it. You say, these relationships are going to get better. That's the way I want it. I'm in debt, but I'm going to live within my means and get out of debt because that's the way I want it. I'm, I'm going to become a tither in the church because that's the way I want it. Not just a tither. I want to learn to be generous because that's the way I want it. Add that phrase to what you say repeatedly, and your life will change over time. Our church is out of debt because that's the way we wanted it. Our church has a new building, a new uh, section back here. It is beautiful because that's the way we wanted it. We paid cash for it. We're not in debt because that's the way we wanted it. You begin to say the things that you want. And, and see, it cannot just stay a thought. <laughs> you have to begin to speak it. So the first week of the series, I, I ask you to, to uh, pray to God for a word. My word is Expectation. I ask you to pray the second week for a thought. My thought is be anxious for nothing. My word for the church is transformed. And my, my thought for the church is fix your mind on spiritual things. If you want to be transformed, you have to fix your mind on spiritual things. So now I want you to come up with a statement. Somebody's going to say, well, can my thought be my statement? Yes, but it cannot remain a thought. You have to begin to speak it. For example, I will be anxious for nothing because that's the way I want to live my life. I will, I will wait in expe expectation for God to work because that's the way I want to live my life. I will overcome any obstacle that I see by the blood of the Lamb and the power of my testimony because that's the way I want to live my life. Anybody else want to live like that? Or do you want to keep living with no power and no hope? So, if you're willing to pray and ask God to give you a statement that will guide the rest of 2014, let me see your hands. Cool. 
I want to hear them. And some of you have shared your word. Some of you shared your verse. When you get your statement, I want to hear that. Now, if, if you look at your words and you find out there's not a, word, a lot of words about God, it may be that you do not know God. And the Bible says that whoever confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. This is what I talked to Bradley about on Wednesday. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So let's just finish this up. Bow your heads. Some of you need to give your heart to Christ right now. You've never done that. And you've known from the moment I baptized these folks that you are not in the kingdom of God. It's a very simple process, but only you can do it. And you pray something like this, God, I know I'm a sinner. You just pray it in your mind right where you're sitting. And I need a Savior. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that you raised him to life. As much as I know how, God, I give you my life and I ask for yours in return. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you have moved from being out of the kingdom of God to into the kingdom of God. And I want you to write that on your card in just a minute. Let's pray together and then we're going to be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. And I thank you that Jesus Christ was the ultimate life-giving words guy. Help us to be like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.